Well, man, uh, it's good to see you, especially those of you that are guests. Uh, if you've been starting to come in the last few weeks, uh, the other guys have been preaching, and I appreciate it, but I'm David, and I'm and, uh, the pastor, and we're just glad you're here. Enjoy Christmas with us. Man, we love, we love Christmas. Right? Joe said it. It's unbelievable. It's a time of celebration, a time of great joy. You know, you, you want just to celebrate it. And don't be, don't be those people who at Christmas, it, it just, you're the bah humbug. You're, the, you're, what's the term we use now? The, the Karens and the Kins? Don't be that person. Now, I know if you're a Karen or a Ken, I'm sorry. I live with the same curse, too, a different way. You know, Debbie, David, the Debbie, that stands for the, the, the really good-looking, cool people. I, hear, I get that all the time, man, you know? <laughs> So, but don't be, don't be the person that says, you know, you know, you got to keep Christ in Christmas. Duh, Christ, you, know, you ever seen the word Christmas? Christ is the, the first part of it. It's Christmas, and we got it. We're celebrating Jesus, man. It's a celebrate, and that's what we, really, that's what we need to do all year long. As, as, as followers of Christ, we're called to honor God and help people come to Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And as a church, that's our goal. That's what we, every decision we make. I know we're in this crazy pandemic for what, nine, 10 months, something like that. It's been going on for all, almost all of 2020. You know, and people know, how do y'all make decisions? What do y'all decide to do? And, and, and I, I get all the stuff that's out there and there's safety and, and, and people want you to do this and that. And we get it. And we, you know, we, we try to do the best we can, but primarily we're going to honor God and help people come to Jesus. That, that, never, that never takes a break. There's no loopholes out of that. So everything we do is with that in mind. And we have protocols in place, and if you follow those protocols, you'll be safe. And obviously, most of you don't follow those protocols at all as I'm looking at you. But that's okay. You're adults. You make that decision. You live with it. I live with it. And, and so we just, we worship. And, and, that's, and that's what we do, and that's so cool. And, and, and when I was putting this series together, and I do the Christmas series, I start putting it together in the summer, and all this 2020 stuff, and I was reflecting, and I'm, you know, I was thinking what people said, and everybody back in the summer, just we want to get 2020 over. I mean, we just want to get to 2021. And it was kind of like this 2020 season is, is lost, right, right, the year. And so I thought, you know, really this Christmas, we talked about the Christmas. Let's just look at 2020 as the year that seems lost. It seems lost. And the truth is, though, that so much of what we experience now is pales in comparison to the way the world was when Christ came. I mean, back, back at the time when Christmas came upon us, oh, man, the world was so much worse. And Jesus came, and when he came, he did this phenomenal thing. He brought something new. He brought this new joy. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. He brought a new song, a new praise. We'll see that next week. But what he also did is he brought something that was desperately needed. He brought hope. He brought a new hope. And we're in Luke chapter 1 today in verse 5 through 17. We're going to start it off this way. In the days of Herod. King of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And yet they had no child because Elizabeth was infertile, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he, that is Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice 
over his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him and the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Jesus was coming. That's what was being said. The Messiah was on his way. And coming was a new hope. And here's the thing that I want you to see from the message today. And it, it's got its roots all the way back into this dark time in the life of the world. And here it is. When there is nowhere else to go and no one else to turn to, there is Jesus. Get that. Yeah, nowhere else to go, no one else to turn to, there's Jesus. And here's the cool thing. In Jesus, there is always, always, always hope. And that's what the world needs to hear today. That's what you need to hear and I need to hear. In Jesus there's hope. And so I want to start with a time when God seems silent and far away. And that's, that's the time where our story picks up. Luke, when he wrote his account of the gospel, he wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. I don't think he wrote Hebrews, but who knows? He wrote Luke and Acts. And, and, and he wrote them. And, and he wrote it you know, at a time, probably around 60 AD, he was a traveling companion of Paul. Paul was in prison. We know that from Acts. And, and, and Luke had time. And a guy named Theophilus probably bankrolled his ability to do all this study and research. And he wrote these two books and dedicated to him. And he wrote them because the world is, it was becoming, you know, the, the Christianity was becoming more and more Gentile. He knew that because he was traveling with Paul, seeing Gentiles come to Jesus. He wanted to make sure they understood what it meant to come to Christ. He wanted to make sure they understood what the church was about, and he wrote these two books. And when he wrote the story of Jesus, he began not just simply with the beginning of Jesus' story. He went back beyond that. He talked about a time, he says, when Herod was king of Israel. Now, now Herod was not king of Israel like David was king or Solomon was king. Rome ruled the world. We're talking about a time around 4, 5, 6 B.C. Herod was king from about 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C. Jesus was born right before Herod died. Jesus was born before Christ. Go figure. But that's because they did the calendar and they got messed up at some point. But Jesus would come in the world of Herod. Now, Herod was a cruel man. He, was, now, he didn't have absolute authority because he ruled under Rome, but Rome was cruel also. Now, Rome had the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, if you're a history student or something like that. But, but the Pax Romana just meant that the world outside of Rome did not come in and invade the people. They were safe from outsiders. They weren't safe from Roman authority and Roman rule. And Roman rule could be tough. It could be oppressive. And Herod was tough. Herod was a cruel guy. I mean, he was so cruel, he had his own family members killed. That's how cruel he was. And he thought nothing of killing the Jewish people. He wasn't even Jewish. And so it was during this time, and paganism was all around them. And in the Roman times that were pagan, there were just a few people who really worshipped God. They were the Jews. And the Jewish religion had become stale and stagnant. The Sadducees who controlled the temple were corrupt. They had sold out to the Romans. The Pharisees had created a religious system that was so difficult with so many rules and regulations, you couldn't keep them. And it was hard. And, and here's the thing. God it seemed like he had abandoned his people. For their history, God had spoke through prophets, and God kept encouraging them. And life would get better, or maybe life would get tough, but there was always hope. But God had quit speaking 430 years earlier. The last of the prophets that we really know of and have anything about was Malachi. And Malachi, he ended, look at the Old Testament, the last book, Malachi, that's it. There's nothing, there's nothing after that. That was 430 years that God had been silent. God had seen far away. They were his people, and they were really in captivity to the Romans. 430 years is a long time. You just think back 430 years ago. It's what, right, 2020? 
400 years ago, it was 1620. You add an extra 30, I don't care if you have common core, you can figure this out. You get to 1590. You got that. 1590, there's no America. There's not nothing. The Jamestown settlement was 1607. King James Version of the Bible, 1611. You ever wonder how people did before the King James Version of the Bible came about in 1611? How do they ever have the Word of God? It's amazing. 1620, pilgrims came to America. 1621, we had the first Thanksgiving. That's, that's a long time ago. It's been 430 years since God has spoken. I mean, and, and it was an oppressive time. It was a dark time. Sin ruled the world. It was just, it was a horrible time really to live. There was no hope. And here was this guy named Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest. There was about 20,000 priests. And most of them were like the Pharisees. You know, their system was, you know, kind of this religious system. And they did the ritual. And, and most of them just went through the motions. But there were a few of them that really got it. And Zechariah was one of them. And says, Zechariah was a righteous man. His name means the Lord remembers, the Yahweh remembers the promise. His wife, Elizabeth, she was the daughter of a priest. This was, this was a priest marrying the daughter of a priest. This was big. Her name means the oath of God. I mean, this is special. And they were righteous. And when it says they were righteous in the eyes of God, it doesn't mean that from the Jewish religious standpoint, it means from God's standpoint. I mean, God looked at them and said, they're the real deal. And here's the thing. This godly couple who loved the Lord didn't have any children. And they were old. They were too old to have kids. Now, I know what I'm about to say. We've got a lot of young women here. So what I'm about to say seems sexist. Do not get mad at me, okay? I am not a sexist. I don't think. Okay. But back then, a woman, a woman's honor was in having a child and, and her value was in having a child. And I know I'm saying that. And, and I got all you, you know, you young progressive type women just understand times were different back then. Okay. It's just the way it was. Their value was having a child. And to not have a child was a curse. And here was this godly woman. She didn't have children. Everybody looked, how, how could that be? And here this old couple where they were past the age of having kids. So that hope was gone. Here's this, here's this old priest. And he's going about to do the single most greatest event in his life. I mean, you were a priest. I can't, there, there's nothing as a pastor, there's nothing to relate to what I'm about to say that Zechariah got to do. Zechariah went into the temple. If you were a priest, you could do this one time in your life. He got to go into the temple for either the morning or evening sacrifice. So here it's probably in the morning. And he got to light the incense on the altar of the holy place. This is a huge deal. I mean, you, the Holy of Holies is where the high priest went once a year to make that great sacrifice, you know, Day of Atonement. But outside of that court was the holy place. And only the priest could go there. And because there were so many priests, about 20,000, and this, this happened, you know, once in the morning, once in the night uh, of every day. This was a rarity. You only got to do this once, if at all. He would go in. And what was he going to do? A couple of the guys, one would go take ashes from the last sacrifice and take them out. One would bring in some hot coals and put them on this little altar. And they'd leave. And it'd just be the priest, just be Zachariah and God. And he put the incense on the altar. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Huge. And the smoke would go up. And the people outside who had been, they would see, and they began down, they'd be praying, they began to pray that God would save Israel. And he, as the representative of the people in that place, he would begin to pray that God would bring a Messiah. They've been praying that for 430 years and nothing happened. God had been silent. They were an oppressed people. That's why it had just become ritual. And for most of the priests, it was just ritual it was a big deal, but not for Zechariah. He was the real thing, man. He was praying, God, bring us a Messiah. And something happened. 
And he looked up, and there was an angel. An angel of God. An angel of God hadn't appeared in 430 plus years. Here's this old man. Here was this angel. And it says he was scared. Duh. The angel of God comes. You're in the presence of God. You're going to be terrified. It cracks me up. These people, I've had them. I've had them tell me, you know, preacher, I had a vision of an angel appeared. But how'd you feel? I felt great. No, you didn't. That was no angel. I don't know why. Maybe it was some bad green chili the night before. That was no angel. Because when the angel of God comes, you're scared. You know, read, it. read this Christmas story. Every time the angel comes, they're scared. The first thing the angel Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He'd have a business card. He'd say, I'm Gabriel. Don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid, man. Because God has heard your prayers. God heard your prayer. What prayer? Well, he said, God heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. Now, some think that because he was, said, God heard your prayer, you're going to have a son, that Zechariah must have been praying for a son. But Zechariah was past that age. He wasn't, asking, he wasn't asking that God bring him a son. He had done that once in his life, but not now. You know what he was praying for? He was praying for the Messiah to come. And so they're saying, God, send the Messiah. And, and that's the prayer. The prophet, I mean, the angel came and said, you're a righteous man. Some of these other priests, eh, you're it. God heard your prayer for a Messiah. He's going to answer it. Here's how you know he's going to answer it. He's going to answer a prayer you prayed a long time ago. He's going to give you a son. You're going to name him John, which means God is gracious. The grace of God is going to come. That is going to be a huge event. And then he began to talk about this. I said, the son, people are going to celebrate and rejoice when you have a son. And that's the coolest thing. And yeah, now we say, well, of course people celebrate and rejoice when you have kids. We do that now. And I get that. And when, we, when people have kids, and they have this celebration. Some of you had kids in 2020. Yeah, it's time of celebration. We got our connect group. So our connect group. Somebody's always having a kid. You know, we have different people come through our connect group. We got two, two young couples going to have a kid in, in, in a week apart in April. That's cool. And, and, and you know when they announced they're going to have a child, everybody gets so happy. Oh, that's so great. But guys don't. The women do. Guys like, okay. Can't go back to watching the game. You're going to have a kid. And the women, and here's why the women get excited. They're going to buy them stuff. And that's why the guys don't get excited. Because when my wife gets excited about your wife having a kid, it's costing me money, man. <laughs> and then you ask them, what are you going to name it? And what's this generation? Y'all don't know how to name your kids? <laughs> oh, we're not going to tell you what we're going to name it. Why? You think we're going to steal it? <laughs> and then you name your kid. I named our kid Michael, M-Y-C-H-Y-E-Y-L. I'm like, no one's stealing that. <laughs> so I'm just calling this one kid Cecil Ray. So I'm naming him after a southern serial killer. Until you come up with a name I can give him, man. And they said they're going to have a child, and they're all celebrating. And this child will be full of the power of God's Holy Spirit. And this is how you know, you're not going to let this kid have any wine or drink. This kid's going to be separated. He's not going to have wine. He's not going to have strong drink. That's why we call him John the Baptist. You all right? <laughs> that, I'm going to tell you what, that's a good wine. <laughs> no. So, I know, I know bad, plenty of Baptist drink. I got it. So, someone came to me one time and said, you're, you're a Southern, you're a Baptist. You Baptists don't drink. I said, brother, if Baptists didn't drink, we would not be the largest denomination outside of Catholicism in America. Okay. It's okay. When I come and you're in a restaurant, if you're drinking, don't try to hide it. I come to this guy, saw a standing one time. The dad just pulls that beer right over in front of his six-year-old son. 
He said, yeah, it's medicinal purposes. The pediatrician said, Johnny needs a Bud Light with his uh, chicken nuggets. I'm having uh, strawberry lemonade with a sippy cup right here. That's me. No, the reason he didn't drink was because he was separated from not being common. It signified he was special. It signified he was separate from God. There was something about him with power. And he's going to come. And he says, and this is what he's going to do when he's grown up. He's going to bring the people of Israel back to God. He's going to turn people back to God. That's what John did. He preached, repent, and people turned to God. And this is the amazing thing. This is the thing that's mind-blowing when you read the story. Because God has been silent for 430 years. He has been absent for 430 years. John is going to fulfill the last words of God in Malachi. And verse 17 says this. It is he who will go as the forerunner. Back in Malachi, in chapter 3, it said the Lord's going to come visit the temple. And when he visits the temple, there's going to be a forerunner. You'll know. And then at the very end of Malachi, the last words of the Old Testament said Elijah's going to come and turn the people back to God. That's how you know the Messiah's coming. What does it say? He's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's fulfilling the promise of God. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. That means there's going to be reconciliation. He's going to bring the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. There's going to be repentance. He's going to make people ready, prepare them for the Lord who will one day come into that temple. Jesus is coming. And God's not going to be silent any longer. And God's not going to be absent any longer. How do you know? Because you're going to have a son named John. John's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And when Jesus comes, there is no more darkness. And when Jesus comes, he's going to deal with sin. And when Jesus comes, you will have hope. 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 You see, with Jesus, there is always hope. See that with Jesus? There is always hope. I tell you the number of times someone is, people have come to me and concerned about their loved one and, and said, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. They're a grown son, a grown daughter, a husband, whatever. They, and they don't know the Lord. And I don't, I don't know if they're ever going to come to Jesus. And I've said this many, many times. I said, look, as long as they can have a breath, there is hope. As long as there is breath, there's hope. Uh, I had a lady in one of my churches, godly woman, raised two godly grown kids. Her husband was an atheist. He's a good guy to her. He's a good guy, period. He's just an atheist. He didn't believe the Lord. And then he got cancer and he was stricken down. And he was close to dying. And, you know, we asked his wife, God, I just have a Bible. I want to read the Bible. She brought him a Bible. She was excited. And shortly after he died, I did the service. And after the service, we were talking. And she says, do you think that meant anything, that he wanted that Bible? Do you think he ever came to Jesus? I said, listen to me. You don't know in those moments of quiet stillness when the Lord comes to a person to bring them before him and to give an account how Jesus works in their life. Just remember this. With Jesus, with Jesus, there's always hope. See, we, we think hope sometimes is wishful thinking. I mean, I, I wish my team would win my football game today. Or I wish I'd get what I want for Christmas. That's not hope. That's a, I hope they win. I hope I get a good Christmas present. That's not hope. Oh, we think hope is anticipation. Man, I hope 2021 is better than 2020. I think it will be. It's anticipation. Sometimes it's, you, you kind of just hope that so, somehow, you know, that, that it's uh, optimism. I hope that bonus comes through. I really did. That's not hope. Here's what hope is. Hope is the confident assurance that in Jesus, 
God will fulfill his revelation. Hope is the assurance. It's an assurance, but it doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It's a confidence. It's, 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 it's guaranteed in Jesus and only in Jesus that God brings his revelation to completion, to fulfillment, that he does what he says he would do. You know, God reveals himself to us or we couldn't know God. When we, we, we walk outside, I look at those mountains, and I, know, I, I can know there's a God. It means a little bit of revelation, but that's not the real deal. The real deal is, is what we call Scripture, the Bible, and the Old and the New. He reveals himself. And, and, in the Old Testament, I've said this before many times, God is making a promise. He's revealing something about himself, but it's incomplete. He's promising something. That's why the Old Testament can be hard to understand. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's really hard to understand because it seems like it misses something. It seems like it's incomplete. Malachi ends like, okay, what's next? But in the New Testament, we see that God fulfills that revelation. Jesus is the complete and total revelation of God. If you want to know God, know Jesus. That's, that's the way it is. And so when you think about, we celebrate the incarnation and the resurrection, the two pillars of the Christian faith. The resurrection, you know, God, Jesus was dead. You know, he died on the cross. It looks hopeless. All look lost. The disciples were just fleeing. They, their life was without hope. And then God raised Jesus back to life. And he defeated sin and death. And hope came. And all of a sudden, they preached a message of hope in Jesus. At the incarnation, Jesus, God in the flesh, came into this dark, sinful, evil, wicked world where people live without hope. He brought hope. Hope is that confidence. It's, it's it's not desperation. You know, uh, the, the movie Star Wars, the original one, the first one, not the one that's called number four. It's the number one Star Wars, 1977. I was around. I was 16. It wasn't the four Star Wars. There was no Star Wars. It was number one. <laughs> and in that Star Wars movie, now it's called number four. It's called A New Hope, right? New Hope is the old Star Wars, just what it is. <laughs> and at the beginning of that movie, there's... There's Princess Leia, and she's got R2-D2, and she's got a little hologram, and she's calling for Obi-Wan Kenobi, and she says, we need you. You're our only hope, our last hope. You're our hope. It's desperation. Some of you are going to watch a football game this weekend, and your team's going to be losing, and they're going to do something in an act, act, uh, act of desperation. I said acts of desperation. I sounded like Barry. My goodness, what happened? <laughs> an acts of desperation? Oh, Lord, please no. <laughs> Come, Jesus, if that's going to be the way it is. <laughs> and they're going to do this, and they're going to hope they win the game. It's desperation. Listen, understand this. Following Jesus is not an act of desperation. It is an act of faith and hope. We have confidence in Jesus. Confidence. We're not desperate. And you know what that confidence does? It brings joy. That's why the angel said to him, it's going to be the cause of tremendous joy. That's why when the angels came to the shepherds in, in, in chapter 2 of Luke, they said, I bring you good news of great what? Joy, joy, without hope, there's no joy. But when you have hope, you joy because hope allows us to rejoice in Jesus. And at Christmas, I don't care if it's 2020 or not, we rejoice because yeah. Jesus It's amazing. In February, it'll be uh, 
nine years since my mama passed. It's hard to believe that. My mama was a godly, godly woman, and, uh, and uh, she's a little eccentric, to say the least. Yeah, but she was a godly woman, and, and uh, she, had, uh, she had gotten sick in, in the, the, the previous spring, and uh, she only had a few months to live with cancer, and she lived longer than we thought. And uh, it, was, it was February. It was a Wednesday. And that February of 2012, I did, I think, eight funerals in about a three-week period. It was crazy. And, and two of them were my parents, my mom and my dad. My dad died three weeks before her. My dad and my mom had been divorced for 48 years. And uh, they died three weeks apart. And uh, both had gotten remarried, had new families, and they both ended up getting divorced again. It was kind of crazy. And I remember after they were both d- divorced, uh, my wife said, wouldn't it be great if your mom and dad got back together and got married? And I'm like, no, it would not. I do not want my mom and dad to get married. I know that sounds crazy, but you know. But my mom, you know, she got sick, and my sister said, come, you need to get here. And so I drove from Bridgeport to San Antonio, and uh, I'm the eldest. I'm the eldest, the only one of that marriage, and the eldest of son. You know, I did all, I had to in charge of all the power of attorney and all that, so I needed to get there and see my mom. And I got there, and there were people there. There was tons of people in the room, including my former stepfather, her second ex-husband. They were reconciling. That was cool. And, and uh, you know, her current boyfriend showed up, and that's interesting. And so I tell you, it was an interesting time. And that afternoon, I had to put my mom, you know, we had to put her in, in hospice, and we did that. It was a Wednesday night, and after, after church, all the folks from the church came by. My mom was the oldest chartered member of that church alive, you know, and so they all came. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and it was a great time of celebration. She had a great, her last day on earth was fantastic. Her last conscious day on earth was fantastic. And so they all left, and it was kind of late. My sisters went, and just me and my mom. Uh, and uh, I talked a little bit, told her I loved her. She was restless, and so the doctors gave her a sedative to put her, help her to sleep, and when she went to sleep, I knew my mom would never wake up. I knew she would die the next day. I would never have a conversation with her again. I knew that, and the next day came. You know, I spent the night there. My sisters came. We went off to um, take care of the funeral arrangements. I came back. I had to get back to Bridgeport. I had a funeral the next day. Now, here's the thing. When you're a pastor, you don't stop being a pastor because things happen in your family's life. You know, I know our family comes first. I get that. I understand that. I've been doing this a long time, but your family makes sacrifices. When you're a pastor, your family makes sacrifices, so you can't stay a pastor. It's just the way it is. And this was a sacrifice that had to be made. I had to go. I had a family that needed me because I was their pastor. I got to go to the funeral, man. And so I, I had to leave. And so everybody kind of left the room. It was me and my mom. And, and I told her I loved her. I kissed her on the forehead. And I said, Mom, I'll see you again, but not in this life. I'll see you on the other side. You wait for me, though. I'm going to be a while. And I left, and, and I had a piece, and I drove, and about three and a half hours later, I was in, in, right outside Heiko, and my daughter missed me a message, needed a call, and I knew what was happening, so I called, and, 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 and my daughter, and she said, Grammy died, I said, okay. And I'm in Heiko, Texas, at a convenience store, sitting in the parking lot, and I hung that phone up, and, and, and a peace just came over me. And in that moment, I had such great joy, because the hope my mama had in Jesus was fulfilled. And I wouldn't, for all the world, take her away for anything. Her hope. And I rejoiced. Our hope isn't that our life will get better or easier. Our hope is that our life will be where Jesus wants it to be. And ultimately, it's with him. That's hope. That's why we rejoice. Some of you, and you need that hope. You really do. 
right now, your, your life's in a tough place. Maybe it's COVID-related. You know, I get it. It's not just the virus. It's the results of the virus and all the other things that go with it. COVID has made people's lives tough. Some of them seem to be lives right now without hope. Some of you, it's just your family. Even before COVID came, you had severe family problems. Maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids. I don't know. And you sure do need hope. Some of you, it's because of the sin in your life. Your sin has just destroyed you. It's eaten you alive. It's dominating your life. And it's like, it's like it was in the days Zechariah. It's dark and oppressive. God seems far away. God is silent. And you don't know what your options are. You've, you've tried it. You're, you're down to your last option. You don't, you're looking at what it could be. And here's what I know. When it comes to hope, Jesus is your only option. There is no hope. There is no hope outside of Jesus. So why wouldn't you come to Jesus? Why wouldn't Jesus be the one you turn to? See, when there's nowhere else to go, there's no one else to turn to, there is Jesus. With Jesus, there's always hope. Some of you today need that hope in Christ. You need to trust him with your life. You need to take your life. And you need to say, Jesus, I'm trusting you with it. And when I trust you with it, I have the hope that I'm right where you want me to be. I have the hope you're going to take away all my sin. I have the hope you're going to take away all that oppression. I have the hope that you won't be silent in my life anymore. I have the hope that you will be present in my life. Jesus, I'm right where you want me to be. I have that hope. Give your life to Christ. Some of you as followers of Jesus, you've had that hope, but you're not living like it. You're living like there's no hope. Why would you do that? Why don't you, be, why don't you be right where Jesus wants you to be? In that place of hope. Some of you, you need to pray for a family member who's living without hope. And you, you know that as long as there is breath, there is hope. Listen, we're, we're going to be here. Some of us will be up front. If you want to come pray, if you want to come give your life to Christ, you want to come join our church, whatever, if you want to come pray, we'll be here. Because here's what I know. Jesus brings hope. And on Christmas, he brought that new hope. And it's yours. It's yours. If you will but trust him. Well, Father, thank you for Christ our Lord, who is our Savior. Who, 430 years ago, 430 years before, you know, Zechariah, the world seemed so dark and empty. Seems so quiet. You seem so far away. And for some people, that's how it feels right now. It feels like you're silent in their life. It feels like you're far away. But that's not the way it is at all. You're right there speaking to them in Jesus. And in Jesus, they can have that hope. So I ask now, give them hope, Father. Give them that confidence assurance that in Jesus, you fulfill the beauty of your revelation and experience what it means to be with Jesus right now. In his name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front to greet you.